them doing greater works. He actually said that his disciples and those who believed and followed Christ would do greater works than he would do. And we discussed that and how there were greater works done after uh, Christ left the earth than while he was on the earth. And we talked about, it, it's not speaking of greater in, in quality, um, it's rather uh, speaking of the, the physical versus the spiritual. And there was a greater spiritual work done on earth after Christ left. And he wants to do great works through us. And as we get into these verses, I believe around this teaching about great works, he teaches us how these great works can be done. And he mentions, first of all, faith, and that great works are reserved for those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. So we see that in, in, from that angle. And then we also see he mentions in two verses prayer. And he, he says, if you'll ask anything in my name, I will do it. And we talked about when we pray in God's name, in Christ's name, for his purpose, for his glory, that God honors those prayers always. And then we see in verse 15 and 16 and in these verses that follow, he emphasizes the truth of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you're able to stand with me for the reading, please do so. And we're going to read in the scripture, verse 15 through 21 of John 14, page 1026 in the Simplified. And the Bible says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him, nor does it know him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. On that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Let's have prayer together and ask God for his grace. Lord, this is your word. This is your truth. And we pray that today it would be freely known, it would be deeply believed, and it would be received into every heart. I thank you, dear God, that you promised to give us this other comforter, I thank you that through your power and through your grace, we can see great things done in our lives. Not all in one moment, not all in one day, but throughout your working in our life, you can get great glory through us. I pray that today your people would embrace these good truths and let them uh, transform their thinking and their hearts, and ultimately may we praise you and thank you for this good gift you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a moment of trouble or trial and you realized that you had no one to call out to. You had no one to come help you. Um, I remember as a little kid one time, I got stuck in some quicksand. Now, I, don't, I, I think it was one of those things where it was probably very slow quicksand and I was probably very ignorant, but I remember it kind of sucking up my foot and sucking up to my ankle. And uh, I was starting to go further down, and I was starting to get really worried. Now, thankfully, in this moment, I was not alone. And I remember calling out to one of my buddies. He came over, and he started pulling on me, you know, pulling on me. And I used my arm a little bit. And finally, I got my foot loose. I got my leg out, and I was good to go. But I remember thinking, boy, 
If I didn't have anyone to call out to, uh, I'd be in big trouble. Uh, in, in my home growing up, uh, my, my family, maybe your parents did this. Uh, you know how it is if, if you've ever had kids, when they're really, really small, they don't know what you're talking about. It's really nice when they're really tiny and you can just talk about candy, you can talk about you know, trips or uh, whatever it might be, and the kids have no clue what you're saying because they're so little they don't comprehend it. But then they get a little older and all of a sudden they know what you're talking about. And as a parent, you gotta be like, you either gotta go in a different room, or you got to whisper, you got to do something so they don't hear you, right? Well, what my parents would do is they would switch to French, because my mom and dad spoke French, and us kids didn't know French. So they would switch to French, and we would just be oblivious, right? They weren't super fluent, but they knew enough to, to talk about what you're talking about, and we would be left in the dark. Well, uh, when I got a little older, I got into Spanish class, and so I started learning some Spanish, and my sisters who had gone ahead of me, they did two years of Spanish, and course they were trying to use it and uh, you know use it around the house and one of the lines that they taught everyone was this Spanish line and it's yo necesito ayuda yo means I necesito means need and ayuda means help I need help and so uh, sometimes we would hear a cry from across the house yo necesito ayuda so there would come someone what do you need what do you need what's the problem I need help. And the good news in the passage today is that you and I, we need help and we have help in Christ. And in the Holy Spirit of God, we have the help that we need. And uh, we're going to look at specifically what this means and how this applies to our life. I need help. That might be a, a different uh, subtitle, okay, for part of the message. I've just entitled it Life After Jesus Is Gone. These disciples, they are sad, they are brokenhearted. They are fearful because Jesus has just told them he's leaving this earth. He's not going to be around anymore. And they're not too comfortable with that. Let's pick up in verse 15. Jesus tells them, if you love me, keep my commandments. He urges them toward obedience. And he says that obedience is a reflection of love. Now, I want to be clear about the direction of the love here. There is the love that God has to us. And then there's the love that we have towards God, right? So the love that we have towards God is not the same as the love that God has towards us. Um, the Bible tells us that we know that God loves us because he sent his only son to, to uh, purchase and redeem us and to pay the price for our sins. That's his love to us. But on the other hand, our love to him is about our, our um, affection and our devotion and our heart towards him. And Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, and he says that there's a, there's a connection here between love and obedience. And I think we can understand this. Um, it's, it's not really sincere to say, I love God, but I don't care what God says, right? I mean, in any other relationship, can you, can you really say that you love someone and then you just disregard what they say, right? No, that goes together. And so it is with God. When God says, if you love me, he follows it up with, keep my commandments. And further down, he's going to make that same connection in verse 21. And, you know, it's important to recognize that um, there are some people that really emphasize this verse a great deal, and, and they quote it frequently, and they almost kind of divorce it from God's love for us, right? And I'm thankful that there's God's love for us, and there's our love for him, and uh, it do, if, if we do not obey, it doesn't mean God loves us less. We are going to see that we may experience some of that a little less. We'll see that later in the text. 
And then there are others who, who very much emphasize grace, 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 almost to the effect that you can live however you please and God doesn't care, right? Well, this verse would speak against that. He does care how we live. But our living is not what takes us to heaven, is it? It is not our good works or obedience or, or trying. The Bible is very clear. It is a gift by grace through faith that we're received into heaven. This is about our, our functioning, our living here below on this earth. In verse 16, I want to pick up here. Oh, one more thing about verse 15. Forgive me. This verse in verse 15, if you listen carefully to how Jesus says it, he does not say, if you love God, keep God's commandments. Do you see that? What does the verse say? If you love me, keep my commandments. And this verse is a powerful verse that explains the deity of Christ as well. Because every other prophet and every other good teacher of the law came along and they pointed people away from themselves and to God. They would say, uh, obey God. They would say, obey God's commands. But Jesus, when he steps on the scene, he tells people, obey me. Obey my commandments. You love me. And he directs their affection and their obedience to himself. Do you see what this means for us? It means one of two things. Either there's more than one God, and we have God, Jehovah of the Old Testament, and we have Jesus God, separate gods, or it means that Jesus is God, and he is God come to earth, and he's God in the flesh. Now, if we read the rest of the Bible, we know there's not two true gods, right? There's one. And so when Jesus says, obey me, love me, he is revealing himself to be the Jehovah God of the Old Testament. So a, a strong point of the deity of Christ. In verse 16, look at what it says here next. And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. As we pick up in verse 16, and we, we see here, I call this another comforter. I want to I say that Jesus comforts his disciples by telling them, you're going to have someone else to comfort you. You're going to have another comforter. Now, this word another tells us something. It means that they had a comforter right then. I think those disciples love being with Jesus. They are fearful. They are sad. It actually kind of makes them tremble to think about Jesus being gone. They had placed all their hopes and their dreams in this one. They had believed him to be the Messiah of Israel. And now he tells them he's going to go away. And I think they are disturbed. And he says, wait, wait, wait. There is another comforter. Right now, you're getting help. You're getting grace. You're getting comfort from me. I'm right here with you. Right now, you have me. I'm going away. But there will be another comforter. In Greek, there's two words for another. One is another of a different kind and another of the same kind. And guess which one this one is? This is another of the same kind. Jesus, God, the Son, came to earth and He says, oh, there will be another, another comforter. This is the same God. He too will come to earth. This, God the Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. And He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But He calls Him another comforter. He says, you have a comforter. You will have another of the same kind. I will bring to you a comforter. I want to talk to you about this word comforter. It is one of those unique words. I hope I can, can help you with it. In the most simple, basic idea of it, it means to call to one side. Someone who is called to one side. Two parts. The preposition, beside, and the part to call. The one called to the side of. And so... This, this word, there's a lot of reading, and I, I did a lot of reading on it, and, and people say, oh, it, it, it means this way, it means this way. Example, in 1 John, it tells us that if we sin, 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate is the same word we have here for comforter. Same Greek word. And what it's teaching is that there's someone standing by our side there in heaven before God the Father. And when we sin, someone stands beside us in our place like a lawyer. And in 1 John 2, it has that idea of like a lawyer or an advocate, someone who is representing someone else. And they're standing in their stead. They're standing beside them, legally speaking, we might, we might say. But in this text here, he simply says, I'm going to send you another one to stand by your side. Jesus had walked with them. He says, here's coming another one to stand by your side. And, and he the idea is not just specifically comfort, although that's very contextual, right? Because they're disturbed. Look at verse 1 for just a minute. Look at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled, right? Do you remember that? They were troubled. They needed comfort. And so comforter specifically addresses the sort of help that this one would give them. But I want to emphasize that the one who comes to the side of is for many, many things. Not only comfort, but also strength. Let's think of some other examples um, in the Bible of people who came alongside others. Um, do you remember the story of Moses when he had to lift up his arms, right? And the Bible says that Aaron and Hur came along beside him and they held up his arms, right? They were there to help and to strengthen Moses. Uh, do you remember in the Bible where it says that there were two walking on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection and along comes a third person and he walks along with them and he begins to teach them, and he begins to explain the Scripture to them. This is that one coming alongside to teach, and, and we find that specifically referenced later in, in this very same passage here, the teaching one. Also, I think of Mary Magdalene weeping in the garden. She is weeping and crying, and who comes to her side? The Lord Jesus comes to her side, right? So I, I share all these stories just to say that the one who comes to stand beside us comes to comfort. He comes to teach. He comes to strengthen. He comes to give any help that he can. The idea is one who is a helper. A helper. And in the passage, Jesus says, look, I'm going to give you another comforter. I'm going to give you another one to come stand beside you. And Christian, can I encourage you this? There is a comforter. There is a strengthener and a helper who stands beside you. As you know Christ, and as Christ has promised to give the Holy Spirit, we know that we have the Spirit of God. And He does not come because He has nowhere else to be. No, He comes with a purpose. The Bible even says that there are times in our life where we can't even know what to say when we pray. But the Spirit gives us utterance. Have you ever been there where, where you were so broken that you didn't know how to pray, you didn't know what to say, and the Bible pictures the Holy Spirit of God putting His arm around us and speaking along with us and speaking for us and helping us pray because we are so broken we don't know what to pray. That's what we have in Christ. This is our helper. And Jesus says, I will give you another comforter. Christian, have you ever felt like you had no comfort? Like you had no consolation? You had nowhere to turn? The Bible says you have someone with you. The Spirit of God, He is yours. He is God's presence right there with you to comfort and to strengthen and to teach you through those difficult and broken moments. Jesus promised to give this comforter. You know, it's interesting that the literal English word comforter, you know what it comes from? It comes from the Latin word. Con means with. 
And fortis means strength. Uh, and I found that so beautiful that, that certainly that is this idea. The strengthener, the helper, the comforter, he's coming and he promises the disciples that he will come to them. So I take this to mean that I do not have to let the trials of life call the shots. But rather, I can lean on the One who is with me, the Holy Spirit of God. I can lean upon Him. He will help me. He will teach me. He will strengthen me through whatever moment I'm at in my life. I call this good news. I call this truth that helps me in my hour of need. Now, notice a couple other things that we find in verse 16. First, we see answered prayer in in the beginning of the verse. Jesus says, I will pray to the Father. I will pray to the Father. Jesus promised that when He got to heaven, He was going to pray to God the Father, and God the Father and He both would send the Holy Spirit to earth. And, I don't know, I guess it it just... I don't know, it's it's hard to kind of process what that means, because we we sort of think of Christ praying to the Father. You know, they're both God, so how, how does that all work, and what does that mean? But I just like to think of it this way. Jesus has answered prayers. And when he prays, God answers always. And he prayed that the Holy Spirit would come. And he did. And so do you know that all throughout our life, we're living out an answer to Jesus' prayer? We have this blessed gift because Jesus' prayer was answered. Jesus prayed to the Father and the Spirit was given. And notice also, he's a permanent resident in our lives. Notice what it says, that he may abide with you What's the next word in your Bible? Forever. Forever. The Holy Spirit is going to abide with us forever. Never is He going to leave us. Never. Now that is comforting truth. That is so comforting truth. In the Old Testament, we read of uh, David praying. And when David prayed, this is how he prayed. He said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And what we learn from that is that before this time, when when Christ gave the Holy Spirit to all of His children for all time. There was a moving of the Holy Spirit of God. And if we read in Saul's life, it says that the Holy Spirit was taken from him. And so, in the Old Testament times, the Spirit would come on a person and it could move off a person. But here Jesus says, He will abide with you forever. Forever. Do you know that there's probably been a few days in my life where I deserved to have the Spirit taken from me? Just like... Saul got to that point and David prayed that he wouldn't get to that point. There are some days where, where I just I know I offended the Lord so greatly. But the Bible here says, oh, He'll abide with you forever. He is that Spirit of God given to you to remain with you always. This is how we as Christians can sing that song. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me. Never to leave me alone. He, that, that truth is ours. That we're never alone. And how important it is to cling to this when we feel alone, when we think we're alone, when we are tempted by loneliness, to remember that I have the Comforter with me, abiding right here, right now, and forever. Notice verse 17. He goes on to say, even the Spirit of truth. He calls Him the Spirit of truth. Most often in the Scripture, the Holy Spirit of God is referred to by the, the adjective holy. The Holy Spirit. But there are other times where the Bible describes Him with other terms. 
The spirit of truth is one of those terms here. We also find elsewhere the spirit of Christ even. But here he's called the spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit leads us to truth. He points us to truth. Sometimes that means he's, he's leading us along and we're, we're following along and he's guiding us into truth. It, other times it means that he's pushing back against us, right? As we, uh, you know, believe lies or, or go in ways that are not true. But he is the spirit of truth. And so he's telling these, these uh, disciples, you're going to have access to truth. Jesus is going away. Every time they had a question, what would they do? They would go to Jesus. Jesus, we have a question. When you said this, did you really mean that? When you said this, how, what is, how on earth does that apply? Even in the passage right now, they're asking Jesus questions. And I, can, I think in their hearts, they're like, oh, you're going away. Where are we going to take our questions? What, what if when we don't know what to do? Have you ever been there where you just don't know what to do? I'm thankful that we as believers have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth who will not lie to us. Who will not point us in the wrong direction. The Holy Spirit always guides us towards the truth. Even in those moments where we don't necessarily know the answer, we still know that we're, He will point us in the way that we're supposed to go. The direction we're supposed to keep heading as a believer. The Spirit of truth. Now, we see His name first, but then we also see that there's a selective audience. And this is important to see also. It says after that, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor does it know him. He, he says that the world does not receive the Holy Spirit. And it's very evident that the word receive here means to indwell or to live within. And to be very clear, the Scripture teaches that there are those who are in Christ and there are those who are not in Christ. There are those who have believed on Christ for salvation, for forgiveness, and there are those who have not believed on Christ, and they have not yet received forgiveness from Him. And the Bible says here, the world does not receive the Holy Spirit. They can't, because they don't see it and they don't know Him. Now, let me, let me just ask us all a question. How many of you, don't raise your hands, okay. How many of you have seen the Holy Spirit? Well, we haven't seen him with our eyeballs, okay? He's a spirit, right? If, if it was physical, then, you know, we could see something physical. The Holy Spirit is not physical. Now, Jesus, he was physical. He had a real body, and the disciples, I mean, they fed him, and they even touched him, and he was just as physical as we are physical. But the Holy Spirit, he was not physically, in the, in the visual sense, available to be seen. Now, why would he say, well, the world, they can't receive the Holy Spirit because they can't see him? We can't see him either, right? Well, when, I think when he uses the word see him, I don't think it just means physical eyeballs see. I think he's saying they can't recognize him. They can't even notice when he's at work. They don't see his working. Do you remember in John 3 where Jesus talked to Nicodemus? And, and he, he told him in that passage, he said, the wind blows where it wishes, right? And, and it talks about the wind blowing. And similarly, he compares the Holy Spirit to wind. And in our experience, if you go outside and it's a windy day, it was a little bit of wind earlier. It's not too windy right now. But you can see the leaves blowing around, right? Now, none of us would say, I've seen the wind. I saw the wind with my own eyes. Right? We wouldn't say that. But we can say we've seen the wind working. Right? We can see that the wind is there. And so it is. He says, the world doesn't see the Spirit. And they don't know the Spirit. And so they don't receive Him. Part of coming to the point of being able to receive the Spirit is when you recognize the truth of God 
And when you see and acknowledge the truth of God, and you begin to know it for yourself and believe it, the Bible says that the Spirit comes after, or at the point of, we should say, saving faith in Christ. He says that the world, they, they don't see Him. They don't know Him. And they don't have the Holy Spirit. Similarly of Christ, it says of Jesus, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world did not know Him. John 1.10 He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. Verse 11. So he, he makes a clear distinction between those who have the Spirit and those who do not. And in verse, at the end of the verse, he says, You know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Um, very important phrasing here. He says, You know the Holy Spirit. He is with you and he shall be in you. Now, when would this take place? This would take place in about 53 days from now. 53 days from when he's saying this. Jesus is about to go to the cross three days in the tomb, and then he rises from the dead, and 50 days later, the Spirit comes on Pentecost. And at that moment, all the believers were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and ever since that time, all who have trusted Christ immediately received the Holy Spirit. I could spend a long time running to different passages and other verses. We won't do that. But he says, he dwells with you, and he shall be in you. Now let's look at verse... 18. This shall be points us to a future day, the day of Pentecost. In verse 18 and 19 and 20, I believe Jesus begins to explain what that day is going to look like. What's going to happen? How it's going to be? What's going to be the result? And look at verse 18. Jesus says this, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Do you know that Jesus was having to tell them I'm going away, but I'm coming, and it will be me, but it's not me. All right? He's explaining the fact that the Holy Spirit is indeed God, but it's not the physical manifestation they've been used to. It's not Christ the Son specifically. It's the Holy Spirit. So it, as we read through this, we might think, man, he sounds like he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth. I mean, he's going away, but he's coming. And the first time he says he's going away, he says he's preparing a place so that when he comes, he'll take them to himself. But then over here he says, I will come to you. Well, what does this mean? It means that these 53 days later, the Spirit of God came, and when that Spirit came, He indwelt them, and He brought the presence of God back to them in the way, honestly, in a way that they didn't even have with Jesus Christ Himself. I think sometimes we envy the people. I said something like this a few weeks ago. I applied it a little differently. Sometimes we kind of envy the people that lived in Jesus' time. Have you ever kind of thought that? Man, I wish he'd make me some, some bread and get to hear his, you know, parables. I'd like to ask a few clarifying questions myself, you know. Boy, wouldn't that be great? I mean, I just wish I could have lived then. But I wonder, now, the apostles, they lived through both of these, so they got to see both sides. But if we imagine someone that lived in that time and they died before, before the resurrection and, and, and so they didn't get to experience the, the after effects, I wonder if they wouldn't look at us and say that they envy us. And, and you would think, well, why, why would they say that? I mean, we don't get to see the miracles firsthand. Well, I think they might say this. You get to have the presence of God right there within your heart. Right there within you. And, and He never leaves you. He's always with you. I got to see Jesus, but most of the time He was off with someone else. But you get to have God's Spirit right there with you all the time. And Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. What He means is, hey, there's going to be this short time 
where I'm, I'm gone to heaven and the Spirit hasn't yet indwelled you, but He says, I will comfort you. I'm coming. I will come to you. And so they had this time where they didn't sense that presence of God until the Holy Spirit again came to them. This fact is so true, but let me just say there are moments in time where we feel comfortless. Where we, we, we may say the fact in our brain, the Holy Spirit is here with me, but we don't feel it and uh, it doesn't seem to be helping at the moment. But I love what Jesus says here. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. One of the things the Bible does for me is it gives me the, the hope that I need. I just want to talk to you for a quick moment about the word hope. Hope is a, an expectation and a belief about something future. And there are moments in life where, where things seem to go off the rails or where difficulties arise. And we say, in this moment, everything's wrong and it's not the way it should be and everything's bad. But this Bible word hope helps us lift our eyes to tomorrow. It, it helps us look for something tomorrow. Maybe we can't see anything today, but tomorrow... There, there's something that's available to us. There's something God's going to do tomorrow. And Christian, let me encourage you that Jesus promises He will come to you. That's been fulfilled with the Holy Spirit indwelling you always. But it also is fulfilled in experience when He does work in our life, when He does answer that prayer, when He does reassure us and give us comfort, right? And sometimes there are spans of time where we don't sense or experience that, that blessed feeling or presence of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible gives us hope that there's always another day. There's always another step. There's always something else that God is doing. And if we could say it this way, sometimes we, we simply fight to, to battle another day. And, and today, maybe things haven't changed one bit, but we know that God's in tomorrow. And so we're going to plug through today and trust him for tomorrow. And these disciples, let me assure you, it was going to get much worse before it got better, right? Jesus is going to be crucified. They're going to flee in all these different directions. I mean, some of them are going to go back on their calling and go back to fishing. Things were going to go really off the rails for them for a little bit, bit of time. But once the day of Pentecost came, God put it all back together, and even more than it was before. And the power of God went forth there from Pentecost. So Jesus is reassuring them. And if you find yourself in a moment of, of pain and uncertainty and things falling apart, let me remind you, God is not yet done. There is another step. There is another tomorrow. And that's what he's pointing them to here. So he says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. Um, this literal word has this idea of an orphan. Uh, of an orphan. And I've not experienced being an orphan. I don't, I don't know that feeling at all. I have very loving parents and I've been very blessed in that way. In ministry, however, I've talked to others who have had a very different experience. I had one uh, person tell me a few years ago, they said, the worst day of the year for me is Father's Day. And I said, really? Yeah, my, my dad walked out when I was three or four and Father's Day is the worst day because I never had a dad. I thought, well, that would kind of change the coloring of Father's Day, wouldn't it? I had another guy just call me recently, and he was um, given up for adoption. He was in the foster care system, and he said he went from house to house. And he said towards the very end, he finally it was in his seventh home. Imagine that, seven, the number of perfection. He finally latched on a family that, that loved him and stuck it out with him. And, and, um, and he told me, you know, we, we were just talking recently, and he said, you know, for all those years I didn't have a family, 
And then I did have a family, and now they're up in years, and they're about to, you know, pass away. And he said, it's really hard for me, because I never had anyone. And then I had someone, and now they're, they're passing. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you like an orphan without anyone to help you. Elsewhere, James 1.27 translates it as fatherless. And, and he had called them his little children, but he's assuring them that he's not abandoning them. He is not abandoning them. He says, look, look, I, I'm going away, but I will come to you. I will comfort you. I will help you. He's helping them bridge this gap. And God always can help us bridge that gap where we reach that point where we feel abandoned or we think we're abandoned and we come to this truth. I will not leave you comfortless. What a blessed promise this is. I will not leave you comfortless. And then he says, I will come to you. Again, I've tried to explain that, that that's referring to through the Holy Spirit. He will come to them. He will meet their needs. He will be a father to them and he will lead them on their journey further. As I thought about this a little bit more, and, and going back to that idea of what if we could see Jesus in person, um, I want to remind us that the Holy Spirit of God is God himself. He is God himself. He's living within us. And it, let's go back to Jesus as he walked the earth. Let's pretend for a minute that he walked right in the back door, physically, humanly, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he walks in the door, what would our response be to him? I thought about that. What, how would we respond to him? Would we run up and give him a hug? Would we fall down on the floor in reverence? Would we break out into joy and rejoicing? What would be our, our experience? You know, the Bible records people had that opportunity because they did get to see him, and especially those who believed on him, they saw who, him for who he really was. And um, we see people in the Bible doing things like sitting at his feet and listening. Uh, we see examples of the one woman, she was weeping and anointing his feet with her tears and washing them and wiping them with her hair. The affection and love she had for him was so, so pure and beautiful. Um, some of the mothers, they would bring their children to Jesus and, and see if they could sit on his lap and if he would bless them, right? These are the things people literally did for, for Jesus when he was on the earth. But I also want to remind us there were other people that argued with Jesus. Peter, anyone? They, they argued with Jesus. Um, Judas gave him a kiss of betrayal. Uh, there, there were times where, where Jesus was ignored by people. And I bring that all up to remind us that if we imagine how we would treat Jesus if he were here physically, let me ask us how we treat the Holy Spirit who is here presently. Have we ever argued with the Holy Spirit? Have we ever ignored a word from the Holy Spirit? We need to remember God's presence is within us. And that truth and how we treat him is very, very serious. And when he gives us a promise that he will do great works through us, he follows it up by talking about prayer, by talking about obedience, and about talking about the Holy Spirit within us. It's a dangerous thing to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit and to go against his promptings and his teachings and his work in our life. Quickly moving on, verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. I call this sight and life. Again, he's, he's pointing them to this future day. 
And he's kind of laying out some of the things that are going to happen leading up to this day where the Spirit of God comes to them. And he says uh, very clearly, a little while the world will see me no more. Well, that took place 10 days after the, the resurrection. And so 13 days or so from now, Jesus ascends up to heaven and the disciples get their last glimpse of him. And they don't see him. The world doesn't see him. But he says in the, in the verse, he says, the world will see me no more, but you see me. Now that's interesting. They won't see me, but you see me. It is true that after the resurrection, Jesus never appeared to lost people. He only appeared to his children. Ultimately, though, uh, we also see that in the Holy Spirit, there's a sense in which he is seen and known in this world today also. And then he promises, because I live, you shall live also. And um, what a little beautiful resurrection truth right there. Even the night of his crucifixion, he's telling them, I'm going to live and you're going to live. Um, my, my, my certainty at the point of death is not something I've done. It's not any works or I was a pastor, so therefore Jesus has to take me. No, 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 no. My hope in that moment of my death or a death of some other believer is this. Jesus lives, they shall live. This one who died was connected to Jesus by faith. And Jesus lives. He entered death and he came out. And this one that we look at here, they have entered death and they will come out. Because Jesus lives, they will live. That is our hope in resurrection. Verse 20. Now here he says it. On that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is a really great verse because he's saying on that day, the day that all this changes, on the day that Comforter comes, this is how it's going to be. You will know that I am in the Father, which is a little more easy to understand. They will see even more clearly the Trinity and the fact that Christ is one with the Father and that he is there in heaven with the Father. Okay, but then he says, and you in me and I in you. Here he takes it to a different direction. The first direction he takes it is Christ and the Father and their oneness. But then he says, you in me and I in you. What is he talking about? How is it on that day that they are in him and he's in them that's not true now? Well, it's simply this. The Holy Spirit is the key in answering this, this conundrum. What does he mean by this? It is this. On that day, they received the Holy Spirit. And what happened with them is they were, were connected to Christ, um, yes, by faith, they had believed, but now the Holy Spirit was bringing them into living union with Christ. On that day, the gifts of the Spirit were given. On that day, the church was, the doors of the church were opened, if we want to say it that way. And, and the church began to function, all right, it began to operate. And the Holy Spirit, from then on, anytime someone trusted Christ, they were connected to Christ. They were connected to every other believer. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is working all around the globe. And that's how he can say, you in me and I in you. And so when, when a believer reads the Scripture, when he sings to the Lord, right, this is God working through us. And this is the work of God going on all around the globe. And he says, you in me and I in you. The, the theology words for this is, is the baptism of the Spirit is what takes us from where we are before we're saved. And at the moment of salvation, it puts us in Christ. It, this phrase, baptism of the Spirit, is what would link us up where, where Jesus says, uh, I in you. I in you. Um, 
I'm sorry, you and me, right? So the baptism takes us into Christ, and then the you and me speaks of the indwelling, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in us. There is a oneness that happens. There's a unity that takes place. And we are connected to God himself. If I am connected to Christ and to God himself by faith, and if I have the Holy Spirit, how does that change my circumstance? Well, it doesn't mean the problems are just automatically gone, does it? It doesn't just mean that, oh, there's no problems, there's no issues. I mean, everything just falls into place so beautifully. No, it it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that God is always at work. That God is always uh, with me as I face any challenge that comes my way. I'm not alone. He's not left me comfortless. No, He's given me a comforter. The Holy Spirit is here. He is at work. And this means now that every challenge I face, I do not face alone. I face with God Himself. He concludes with His reference to love and obedience. And I won't spend a great deal of time. We talked about verse 15. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. God promises a deeper experience, a deeper connection of love when obedience is the path that is taken. Um, Anyone who's been here a believer for a while knows that when you walk in your own ways and and you uh, sin and you go off in your own direction, things get cold uh, with the Lord. Things get um, hazy in our spiritual life. But he says, no, if, if you'll listen, if you'll follow, if you'll walk with me, guess what? I, I'm going to reveal myself to you. You're going to get to see more and more of me. And you're going to experience more of my love. He starts off with this love and obedience, and he ends with this love and obedience. And all between, he talks about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is given to help us obey, to help us walk with God, and to help us experience God in the present tense. I hope that you'll know that you never have reason to tell yourself that you're alone, or that you have no hope, or that you have no comfort. Through the Spirit of God, we have these needs met. Jesus urges obedience, and I I think part of that is just that as we walk with him and we obey, that presence of the Spirit is more clear. It's more definite. It's, it's seen more and it's felt and sensed more. And God says, look, don't let this trouble that's about to come, come upon you, don't let it derail you. Remember the big picture. I'm coming to you. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not abandoning you. This is God's heart for us. And he's seeking to reassure us in those moments of darkness and fear. And so we look at their situation, and, and you know, we know how the story goes. You know, we can read and see, oh, there's Pentecost. Hey, that's the day. They didn't see that. They didn't know that yet. And so it is in our life that, that we see the right here and the right now, and God just speaks truth to us and says, I'm not abandoning you. I have the helper sent right to stand beside you and even to live within you. He will help you. He will guide you. And that day will come. There's coming a day. There's coming a day of change, a, a day of answered prayer, Whatever day it may be, but God is pointing us to what is next. I hope you found grace and help in this message today. Let's bow in prayer to the Lord. We'll just have a quick moment of response before we pray. And if you're, if you're here and you just say, Pastor, I know I really needed that message. God spoke to my heart. 
Um, would you pray for me? If you raise your hand, I'll do that. I won't name any names or anything like that. But God, use the message to help me. I see a name there, there, several others. Let's pray together. Lord, you know the hearts, and you know each one. You know uh, where they stand, where they sit, and where they find themselves in life. I pray, dear Lord, that you would especially help these who sensed a need or some way in which the message addressed something in their life. Lord, help each of us to remember that you've not abandoned us and that through the Holy Spirit, so much good can be done. Teach us and help us to listen to your leading and listen to your word. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we have this special privilege that those before us did not, but for this season of time you've allowed to be, that your spirit would live within us. And I'm thankful that he never leaves us. I ask that we will remember these truths and we'll let them anchor us in our living. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Number 67 will be our closing song. Let's stand together and we will sing. If you need to spend some time in prayer, you can do so at your seat. And uh, if you need to